Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. And I'm Dale Spangler. This week we have Andrew Short of the Monster Energy Official Rally Team. This week's weekend watch is the World Superbike Round Pirelli Indonesian WSBK Final Round held at the picturesque Pertamina Mandalika International Street Circuit on the island of Lombok, which is actually literally right next door to the island of Bali. What an amazing, picturesque setting for the final round of the World Superbike Series. Unbelievable racing. Another series coming down to the final round. Yeah, how about that? And I think the big story of the week had to be the biggest name in motorcycle racing. Toprak Raz Gottlioglu, man, winning the championship. Watching that racing in the rain, which kind of looks like slow motion. You know, these guys are going at it hard. Saturday, they had a little bit of a extreme weather. Uh, they had some monsoon rains roll in, which resulted in the race one being pushed to Sunday. So they ended up having two legs on Sunday. And uh, Roz Gottlioglu come, came in with a 30-point lead over, th- over Jonathan, Jonathan Ray, six-time champion. Definitely a showdown down to the wire. What Rosal Gottlieblu was able to take it home in the first race with a second place finish, which gave him enough points to wrap up the championship after race one. Yeah, and how about Jonathan Ray with that series since he went to Kawasaki in 2015, winning six in a row? And this year he was no chump. I mean, eight out of 13 Super Poles, always battling and sweeps the weekend. So really, Jonathan Ray fought to the end. But uh, it was interesting in the pits afterwards. Nobody was happier for uh, Toprak than Jonathan was because he went over and hugged him and, and high-fived him. So great sportsmanship on his part. Some of the other big news from the weekend are American racers in World Superbike. Garrett Gerloff finishing seventh on the year. He is a Moto America former racer, and uh, it was great to see his success. Also, Jason Uribe, who uh, raced several rounds in World Superbike. So it was great to see... The U.S. represented in the, you know, at that platform and level, and uh, we look for bigger things from these guys as the years go on. Yeah, it was great to see Garrett Gerloff uh, put it up there. I think he finished fourth in the second leg on Sunday uh, in the the rain soaked, you know, second second race that was shortened to twelve laps. He ended up, as a result, ended up taking the top independent title. What a season for Yamaha, as we've spoke about before, with uh, Rosgatlioglu taking the world superbike. And then we've got uh, Cartoraro, who's taken the MotoGP title. And so really, really absolutely fantastic season for the Yamaha squad. And uh, for Raz Gottlioglu, he gives the country of Turkey its first World Superbike Championship and Yamaha's first title since 2009 with Ben Spees. Craziness. Yeah, no doubt. Yamaha's been on a tear this year, absolutely winning the World Superbike, winning MotoGP. I counted seven major championships for them if you include MXGP, MX2 class with Renault, AFT singles with Dallas Daniels, Supercross East and West with Cooper and Nichols, and then the AMA 450 Outdoors with Ferrandis. You know, they've really just had a run this year. They've been the brand to watch, and I don't see that ending anytime soon with the domination that they pulled off. Definitely not. And I think uh, if this is any indication like we've seen with MXGP, World Superbike's going to be another fantastic season in 2022. Glue is now the third youngest champion of all time behind James Toslin and Troy Corser. And uh, I just have a feeling this is probably only going to fuel the fire for Jonathan Ray in 2022. 
and probably come back and try and grab a seventh World Superbike title. This week's industry spotlight, we'd like to talk about women and motorcycle racing. We've got big news out of American flat track racing. Shania Texter Bauman has officially joined the Indian Motorcycle 2022 AFT Super Twins factory race team. I know that's a mouthful, but congratulations to her. She's going to join her husband, Briar Bauman, and also Jared Mees, this year's champion in the class, on that Indian wrecking crew. And, uh, We couldn't be happier for her and racing in general. It's this and all the great activity and results from the Royal Enfield Build Train Race Program led by Melissa Paris. They pushed the ladies to the forefront of racing and it's wonderful to see. Also with GNCC action, we've got Becca Sheets with another championship, really giving that series uh, just well-deserved attention. You know, the commitment of the female athletes that they provided to racing along with the action on the racetrack is growing the sport of motorcycle racing, and we couldn't be more excited for the future. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts. Andrew Shark, welcome to Pit Pass Moto. What are you up to today? I'm stoked beyond. Thanks for having me and getting ready for Dakar. It's our big race. It's uh, at the beginning of January and it's a little bit funny because with the timing and with registration with the AMA and the FIM, they don't quite have all their forms ready. So it's a little bit of uh, a madness every year trying to get everything done. So it's uh, a little bit interesting, but that's just part of this race and how it works and getting excited. Yeah, I can only imagine the list logistics that go into that one single race. And uh, so speaking of races, rally racing, you recently completed the Abu Dhabi rally where you finished 13th and probably would have been even higher if you didn't have an issue on stage four that took you out of that stage. But you're able to return the next day on stage five and grab fourth on the final stage. And I think you ended up, what, uh, 13th overall for that for the whole race, but uh, more importantly, you got ninth overall in the whole Rally GP series. Yeah, it wasn't the best race for me, but it was. Uh, it's really good practice for for Dakar. Uh, I was in Abu Dhabi and in the UAE, and this desert is the same desert as Saudi. Obviously, they border each other, and so from the rider perspective, it's nice to be on similar terrain and just having this race so close to Dakar is 
catch 22. It's nice to be in similar terrain, but it's really dangerous also. And you don't want to get hurt before the big race. And I was a little bit gun shy and a little too conservative. And I knew this going into the race and my mind and where I'm looking towards Dakar probably wasn't the best way to approach a race. And But I did my best and we had a big issue on day four. And that's kind of racing and how it goes. But I lost my motor at the beginning of the stage. And I was happy it happened at the beginning and not you know, 300 kilometers deep into it. So I was able to get out of the desert halfway um, early and easily. So that was nice. And uh, so we'll see how it goes, but it was nice to have a race this close, which is unusual because of COVID to have a race this time of year. Typically this race is held in, in March and uh, getting hurt is on the back of your mind when you have plenty of time before Dakar, but this year was completely different. So it was interesting. Andrew, I'm curious for you. I mean, uh, you've been at this uh, for quite some time, obviously racing in general, but, uh, you know, the off-road and Dakar-type uh, off-road racing. But I'm curious just, you know, for myself and for our listeners, what was the transition like for you from moto, which we, you know, obviously had a successful career and very good at it, that transition from moto to off-road and the duration of these types of events? What's, what was that like for you? Mm. It's different because off-road is, is my passion. And, you know, obviously motocross and supercross was my dream. As a kid, this is all I wanted to do and to, you know, have a dream come true. Like it did for me to be able to race motocross and supercross for so long was amazing. And eventually after 17 years, it I don't want to say it got stale, but it was like a business and it was something I was good at and I really enjoyed it. But there was all these other places and types of racing I, I wanted to go do for fun. You know, I wanted to go to Baja and ride with buddies and take adventure bikes and not be so worried about just going fast the whole time and to go camp. And also I love to ride dirt bikes and go trail ride in the mountains in Colorado or Idaho or wherever, um, Wyoming. And then I got hooked on rally and this seemed like the ultimate motocross vacation. You get to explore and go on a big adventure and you're around like-minded people that just love to be on two wheels. And there was some racing involved, but it wasn't just about going fast. You had to be really smart and be strong day after day. And so it was more of a passion. It wasn't like, hey, I need to do this for business or for money and that. So it's it's a lot different for me in the mindset of transitioning to off-road where some of the off-road guys, I think it's truly, they feel like they have to win and that's how they make money. And, and then other people are just doing it because they love love to compete and they love being in the desert or in in the mountains or back east in the trees. So for me, it's a little bit of a combination of both, but I love it. And I feel really fortunate to be able to have this chapter in my racing career. And it's completely different than motocross and supercross, what I started with. And it's it's cool to to be able to kind of be in this this stage. It also got to be a lot different from you pack your gear bag and you're gone for a day or two and then you're back home again training and practicing. So, you know, that alters the landscape quite a bit. It's a it's a full commitment to go to these types of races just financially and just your time and, and your family's time. Yeah. Yeah. This part is different. Even from motocross and supercross, you know, it's like I used to travel on a Friday race on Saturday, be home on Sunday. And it was week after week and it turned into a grind kind of in a sense, but I loved it. And now sometimes by the time I could just go to a, a motocross or supercross race, that's how long it takes me just to, to travel to one of these countries I'm going to race, you know, going to Russia 
it takes two or three days. Sometimes you lose a day, you know, it's like, you don't even know what day it is. And by the time you get to the little airport of where you're going in Siberia or somewhere crazy like this, where they're holding the race, it takes a long time. And it's a big commitment. And the logistics are mind blowing. And I'm talking from the rider perspective. So from the team perspective, the logistics of managing a crew and bikes and coordinating all the customs and all this stuff, it's, it's a big effort. But in saying this, you get to experience and race in places that most people never get to see. And we ride long distances and it's not like we're just going to the touristy places. We, we ride through the towns and then ride through the, through the desert and see landscapes that we would, most people never ever get to see. So we get a real feel for the, the country and the culture. And it's, it's really cool. And typically most of these rallies, the country is sponsoring the race. So they want to show off what their country has in terms of, of these things to appeal to other people. So they come visit these countries and kind of show off what they have. So it's really cool to what we get to see and what we get to do. And, and also this type of racing is, is at a really high level, which is cool, really well organized, professional. And, um, it's not like you're like a local race and, and typically they have cars as well. And this brings it up a whole nother level in terms of professional, professional, um, amenities and stuff like this. So it's, it's unique. That definitely seems like you have to have an appreciation for, you know, different cultures, different foods, different ways of doing things. And speaking of that, I've, I've always noticed, it seems like you're, you're very much a, a student of moto history, Andrew. And, uh, I saw where this past summer you had the chance to experience an MXGP at the, uh, rough and rugged Lommel circuit in Belgium. What was that like for you to be able to witness MXGP in such a you know famous circuit as the Lommel racetrack? Yeah, it was cool. We were in France doing some durability testing at another uh, track called Lune Plage. It had a lot of sand. It was good for, for our bike and moving forward that way. And we were fortunate that it was close in location to Lommel. And to go see a Jeep, I've done a lot of motocross races throughout my years, but to see this one in real life, it gives a, a new appreciation for how gnarly this track is and just to see how the Euros approach racing. You know, it's one thing when you watch motocross the nations, but when you just see a regular MXGP, it was cool to walk through the paddock to see the young kids and the talent that they have in these conditions. It's a lot different than the US, you know, where our series are, I think the kids, they focus so much on the sprint speed and supercross and the technical side where these younger kids, they have to have a lot of endurance and the technique is so much different in terms of, they don't have to be so precise, but they have to carry more momentum and really focus on line choice. And as the track um, gets rougher, how to adapt. So it was different styles and to watch this, it was really cool. And it's definitely a lot different than the racing here in the U.S. I can imagine like seeing it firsthand too, probably really was kind of an eye-opener because I feel like television probably does, doesn't even do it justice, just how rough that track was and just how fast they're going on that, that rough of a track. Yeah, but this is racing at any high level. It's Supercross, same way, right? You see it on TV. doesn't look too gnarly, but then you get down there on the floor and it's gnarly. It's crazy and how much the track gets chewed up. And yeah, I think you have appreciation for that also. And I think the Euros have definite appreciation for the American riders with Supercross and and vice versa, I think a majority of the the American riders have a massive respect for the guys in Europe. And especially because we're seeing, you know, Ferrandis and people like Muskin and Kenny and these people that came from Europe, we know that they can ride. And 
but it's cool to see that their series is kind of pushing different limits and and obviously the riders are really fast when they're focused on motocross 24 7 compared to the riders here in the u.s yeah nobody can doubt the success of uh, mxgp for those those very reasons andrew now i'm curious uh, you're walking around the pits you're seeing the action and you probably got to talk to people you know but i really want to ask the question has anybody in mxgp adopted the shorty third gear start that's uh that's the question <laughs> i want to ask yeah no yeah Nowadays, with the greats behind the the star, I never had this. So who knows what they're doing? But everywhere you go, there's a little bit different technique. And there for a while, I think it was 2015 when I was doing this, I had it on lock. But for Supercross, it's a little different with your gearing and the conditions are so hard packed where these guys are coming off the gate and typically it's groomed or, or dissed up. But I don't think anybody does this and it wouldn't work so good in today's conditions like it did back in 2015. So, Shorty, what I imagine your immediate focus is is obviously Dakar 2022. I would assume you're probably looking for some redemption from last year's race, getting taken out, I think, in, was it the second stage with some bad gas? And so I imagine you're looking for some redemption. But beyond that, um, you know, what, what do you have going forward into 2022? That's it. Honestly, I'm kind of at a crossroads in my life, and I'm focused on getting to Dakar, which is a, a big effort. So after that, I don't know um, what will happen and what doors will open and what doors will close. But right now, that's what I'm focused on. And last year was a shame with what happened with the fuel. There was so much. I, I got a bunch of water in my fuel. I was the first one to the to the pump. Um, and I had, I think, over eight liters of water in my bike, which holds 30 liters. And so I couldn't even dump that amount out. But wow. I was confused on why it happened. and The way the organization handled it, in terms from the promoter standpoint, they did everything they could to keep me in the race, but the FIM didn't um, see through with this and with the COVID situation, it was a bit strange. Um, but this year, I feel like we're a lot more prepared if something like this happens, even from the team standpoint on how to handle situations like this, whether it's from the legal standpoint or whatever, just to keep you in the race. But it's a wild race, man. You never know what's going to happen. And this will be my, I think my It'll be my fifth year, I guess, doing this this race. And every year, there's always a different story. And it's crazy, and you never know what's around the corner. And it's it's a long race. And I feel like every time you do it, it changes you as a person. And you can take these experiences, and they'll be with you for the rest of your life. So I have no idea what lies ahead, but um, I can't wait to see you know what's in store. Yeah, so speaking of that, so is, uh, is your deal up with Yamaha then after Dakar then? And then that's when things kind of fall into place for the remainder of 2022? Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've been on a two-year deal, and typically after that, you do the world championship. It's kind of interesting because Dakar and ASO, who also promotes the Tour de France, but they bought the world championship. So this will be, uh, I think they came to agreement with the other races and I don't know if it's been officially announced, but I think this is the way it's going. And so Dakar will be the first round of the world championship, um, in the future. And, but typically, um, you know, you stay with the team until Dakar. And then after this, you kind of get sorted. It's like motocross, supercross. This typically happens after outdoors and everyone switches teams during the off season. And then you start again. And so Dakar is kind of like, the last one on that's the one that matters so after this everything kind of gets sorted so we'll see what happens so andrew thinking about the future i know you've got uh racing in the family as i like to say i mean obviously with your career 
which was a long, successful career from Moto World Suzuki all the way through Team Honda and then KTM. Your wife, Jackie, was also a racer in the WMX series. She uh, grabbed some podiums back in the day, I know, and uh, I've seen her race. And uh, is there any plans to bring the kids along? I know uh, I've seen pictures of your of your boy riding. Is there any uh, opportunity there? Or are you steering them away from the sport? Or what's how's that, uh, how's that look for you? <laughs> yeah. No, my, my, it's funny because like you said, my wife used to race and now my son, he loves to ride and he loves uh, to race, but uh, he doesn't quite understand because Jackie, my wife, she doesn't ride so much anymore and she'll be giving him some pointers and he just like acts like she doesn't know what she's talking about. So me and her always kind of laugh and every once in a while she'll go ride with them. But yeah, well, I don't know what will happen. We just try to have fun and uh, make the most of it and it's been cool because before COVID, my son never really liked to ride and now he's all into it. So we can go to a local off-road race or even my wife and him and myself can go ride with some friends and we have a great time. And that's kind of what it's all about and trying to enjoy that. And it's definitely different when, you're, when your kids can ride and it's not all about you and you can share um, your passion with them and have these you know, good times together. So Andrew, what about any uh, any other type of like brand ambassador type roles? I know you've you've done that for some of the brands you've worked with for a long time, like Fly Racing and some of the other brands. And uh, you know, I think if uh, any brand will be lucky to have you as an ambassador, so I, I assume there's might be some plans like that for you in the future as well. <laughs> well, thanks for the kind words, but no, honestly, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen after Dakar. I'm kind of like I said, I'm at a crossroads in my life and. Uh, kids are getting older and I've been traveling so much. And if there's an opportunity to race like there has been, then that would be amazing. And if there's not, I wouldn't mind trying to navigate in a car or doing something in the industry. And I love to ride and I would love to be able to give back. And I don't know what that is. And I have a lot of friends and in this industry and I would like to do something, but I don't want to force something. And if that opportunity comes about. I'd love to be with like-minded people that love dirt bikes, love two wheels and that adventure style passion. The racing side of it's great, but there's so much more to dirt bikes than just racing, but we'll see what happens. There's still some things I would love to go do and places I want to go ride. And sometimes with racing, you don't have time to do this, but there's definitely a bucket list of places I want to go on my dirt bike as well here in the near future and see how that goes. Well, when you do make it to retirement, that those will be plenty of opportunities for all those fun adventures you're just talking about. But Andrew, I really appreciate you coming on today. Appreciate your time. And uh, is there anybody else you'd like to uh, uh, give a shout out to before we uh, close this episode out? No, yeah, well, I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, it's great to talk to you guys. And it's cool you guys do this. And for me, no, I'm just looking forward to Dakar, like you said, and um, with our team with Monster Energy and Yamaha, we had a rough one last year. So we're looking to rebound. And, you know, with this race, you never know what can happen. But also, I've been a part of the fly racing family forever. And I've had the opportunity to work with you, obviously, Dale there, and they're great people. And they've been a big part of my career and my success. And I have a lot, a lot of it comes from them. And I have a lot to thank to those guys because they've they've definitely helped me live this dream and very appreciative of that so between those people they've they've allowed me to uh to go race and i'm thankful for that thanks again andrew we appreciate you coming on today thanks guys
Thank you again to our guests for being with us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our latest blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave Sulecki. And I'm Dale Spangler. See you next week. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.